This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I mean, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on this day in 1888, the National Geographic Society was created in Washington, D.C. for the, and I quote, increase and diffusion of geographic knowledge. So, to celebrate... Today, let's increase and diffuse all the ways to make more money. Leading us into the wilds of the market, we welcome the Doc with the Stock, Doc G. Plus, the adventurous we got to stay at home long enough to write our show, Paulette Perhatch. And finally, a man who's always guiding you through the path to the punchline, somewhere right up over this hill, from LenPenzo.com, it's Jane Goodall. Nah, she's with a different group of apes. Hopefully that group knows how to use their thumbs. It's just Len Penzo. But that's not all. Then we'll trek toward my trivia question. And now a guy who's the safari leader on the way to a pack of gains. It's Joe Salcihai. Man, Doug, I thought you said a pack of games, like board games. I was like, hell yeah, we're on our way to a pack of games. And then I realized you said gains and that too. That's good. How are you, man? I haven't been to a gym in years. (laughs) It it feels like it's just getting over this cold. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday. We're going to have some fun. So sit back and relax, grab your favorite beverage and join us as we talk about making more money, as Doug uh, succinctly said. Let's start off this tour by introducing you all of the players in this conversation. Let's go deep under Los Angeles where in his bunker, Mr. Lynn Penzo is waiting. How are you, my friend? I'm wet and soggy. That's how I am, my friend. Wet and soggy. Does that mean you're moist? Hey, that's his side hustle, Doug. Don't judge. Jeez, no kink shaming on this show. Right. Buy the URL, Len. Len's going to put us on mute right now and buy that URL. You know, I had a funny joke, but I'm not going to follow that, uh, Paulette. So I'm just, let's move on. (laughs) Probably. When Len says funny joke, we already know that means it probably wasn't that great. However. I wasn't going to say it. I support you, Len, but... (laughs) And that other voice you're hearing, uh, the woman behind the F off fund herself, the woman who powers powerhouse writers, Paulette Perhatch is here. Hi, thanks for having me. Just had a piece in the New York Times, feeling good. That is good. It's the QS Literary Seminar. Yeah, running around making stuff happen. You and I were talking about that drive just before you took it out to Key West. Is that the world's best drive? It is. It's pretty long to Gainesville. It's still eight hours. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a haul. But I listened to um, I listened to the Richest Man in Babylon yesterday. Finally, wow, the whole time it was like story time. Yeah, loved it. So Paulette has a parable or two in her right now. I know. <laughs> yes. I know. It sounds so easy when you say it like that. 
And the guy from our sister show, Earn and Invest, Mr. Doc G himself, Jordan Grubbins here. How are you, Doc? I'm doing well. I guess according to Doug, I'm the doc with stock, but I haven't been feeling those gains this year. So maybe that's something we can talk about. We got a little gains this year. I think you're still stuck in 2022, big guy. Yeah. Yeah. My brain is still back there. That's right. Well, it's easy to- Technically, you still own the stock. (laughs) (laughs) And it's easy to make that mistake when you look at how much money you're still down to, right? For people that are new to this show, they might not know about Earn and Invest. So tell everybody what you do there, because you have a lot of discussions like we're having today. So in Earn and Invest, we have the next level discussions on financial topics, not how you necessarily get to strong finances, although that's very important to us, but also what you do next. And so we do definitely have these kind of next level conversations about some of those deeper topics about what what money means in our lives and what we should be doing with it. Oh, Paulette, I was thinking there's a serious discussion you and I have to have. Is it about your body odor? The email? Did you get the email? I did not. I did not. Maybe I should, though, on that. No, I was. Check your junk mail. I was thinking about all this stuff. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, now you've got your to-do list, don't you? You're ready to go dive in and be better at money than you were an hour ago when you started listening to the show. And you know what? For a great partner, become a member at Navy Federal Credit Union because... Becoming a member at Navy Federal could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, when you're thinking about debt, as I've said before, a lot of people have debt. Very few people have a debt strategy. Well, with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Make the plan. Choose the best option because both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Just before we went to that break, I thought you were saying check my junk. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's more than more than body order. Wow. That's that's not not good. Yeah. No, I've had to have that conversation before. Paul, look how I'm embarrassed Paulette is. I can't. Wow. Everybody needs to watch the Cross YouTube the line, version even of this, for me. but I have had to. T- you didn't know that I had a line. There it was. <laughs> I was glad she said mail at the end of it. <laughs> Check your mail junk. <laughs> Paul, on that note, where do we go from here? Paulette's here. Led's here. Doug's here. Do you here. have an HR department, Joe? <laughs> we're about to- do you have an HR department? <laughs> we're, we're about to find out. <laughs> it's called the internet. Our piece today comes to us from our friend, Nick Majuli. Nick uh, has a great blog called Of Dollars and Data, and he was on the show recently talking about lessons from his new book. We're not talking about his book today. We'll link to it in our show notes for people who want to hear more from Nick. But Nick's uh, piece to kick off 2023 is called It's Time to Work. And I thought this is a great, great discussion for today because he is a whole whole philosophy on maybe how you should manage your money. And this whole discussion, Mr. Penzo, starts off around this idea of alpha. He says that too many people spend too much time chasing alpha. So can you define for our stacker community what that means? What does it mean to chase alpha? 
Well, alpha is, I, I mean, people use it some, more in the generic sense. I think alpha meaning returns. I mean, technically it's uh, it's excess returns. It's returns over and above what you would might normally expect. But I think he's kind of using it as it just in the terms of returns, your stock market returns on your investment. So uh, I, I don't know. Do you agree with that, Joe? That's what it seemed like to me. I do. I do. I think he's using it a little incorrectly. Yeah. So, yeah. Slightly. I mean, Nick knows better, right? I mean, Nick knows what alpha is, but I think he's doing that on purpose saying we chase returns. Yeah. And that's fine. Cause I think most people out there use that term in the incorrect sense. I mean, it's still, it gets the point across. People are talking about returns, but in, in really it's supposed to be your excess returns over and above what you would normally expect. The other term that you might hear is beta, which is risk. Actually, it's, it's the amount of risk uh, that you're willing to take. So, and then it gets even more out there. There's, there's gamma, which I've now I'm getting way out over my ski, so but there's such gamma as well. That's your lesson in the Greek alphabet right now. So, it, by the way, you know I'm I'm going to be making a movie about the Greek alphabet soon. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, really? it's going to be a yeah, it's going to be a sci-fi film. <laughs> and uh, hold on, wait, <laughs> hold on. There he is. Thank you. He's here Thank all week, folks. Much. Tip your weight, Steph. We do that, Paulette, though. I mean, think about this. When you have discussions with your friends, you're not talking about, oh, so I took my money, I put it in this index fund, it's boring as hell. No, we're all talking about, you see the stock market, I did this thing, I invested in this cool thing, and it went up a lot, or maybe it went down a lot. We usually don't tell those stories. But why are we so addicted to this idea of excess returns, like Nick says we are? Because I think it's exciting. You know, big sweeping changes are exciting. And as I learned from the richest man in Babylon, it's very risky, but it's exciting. It is like, especially for people with ADHD, it's like, it's supposed to be boring and boring does not make a good story. So it's the things we talk about are the things that are exciting. And those are the things that make big, fast returns. It's not going to be like, did you know I put $100 a week away for the past 50 years and it really grew well? And like, that's not a good story. It's like, good for you, but like not something you want to talk to your friends about. So um, yeah, I think that's why, but that's not what I do. You know, you talk about ADHD while you're talking about this and and obviously then I start thinking about your brain and I think it, maybe it's Paulette while you're talking, it tickles the same part of the brain as when you walk into a casino, right? Oh, yeah. I walk into a casino, I'm like, man, I'm going to hit it rich, right? We see the a couple weeks ago, the lotto hits $1.3 billion. Did you guys all play? Did you play? Yeah, you didn't I, play. I, I live in Maine, Joe, so I, I play. Oh. <laughs> oh, hey. May or may not be that single person what? who won it. Yeah, that- that's when right. I was 12, my family won 500 lottery tickets, and that was the best lesson I could have ever gotten. I watched them go through every single one. That's a, almost a ticket a week for 10 years. Oh. And we won like $12, and I have never played the lottery. 500 more chances and won 12 bucks. That's a story on its own <laughs> yeah. wow. right there. Yeah, <laughs> Doc, so we play this lottery game. Nick says that that's not what we should be doing. He says, this isn't a great use of time. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is speculation, right? So this idea that we like gambling, we like the lottery, we like that little endorphin hit when we put it on the line, and that's exactly what Seeking Alpha is doing, right? We know that there's some basic things we can do to make market returns, and anything above and beyond that most of the time ends up being some type of speculation or not. And that's why when you look at it long-term, most people can't consistently get excess alpha. It's just really hard to do that. Interestingly enough, I mean, you know, you can go the other way and say, well, so what we're doing is we're trying to be reactionary, right? We're trying to read the market and react in such a way in order to produce alpha. But in some ways, I think Nick is saying the same thing as to be reactionary and all of a sudden read the market right and start working really hard. And to me, I think both arguments are just as silly. Wait a minute. It seems to me that he's saying you should be indexing. I mean, this feels like indexing all over it. Well, he is saying you should be indexing, but what he's really saying is that you should be reactionary. So what he's saying is, look, the market isn't what we thought the market was going to be, so let's be reactionary and double down on work. I would argue that a good financial plan isn't reactionary at all. In fact, that's why you write out a financial plan. You shouldn't say, oh, the market's down, I need to work harder. You should have written out a financial plan a long time ago. And if you're at the beginning of your career, you're going to be working hard because that's a great time to be putting money in the market. And if you're older and you're retired, you should hopefully have put together a nice financial plan so you don't have to work harder or go back and double down on work. 
either way, you're being reactionary. Yes, he's talking about putting your money in index funds, but now he's talking about being reactionary on how much you on the how much you work side. Okay, well, and but to me, I think that's I think that's hooey. Uh, well, to catch everybody up on what you're talking about, he says that if you're going to put your time anywhere between the two, stop putting so much time on trying to beat the market and spend that same amount of time on work because you're going to make money on work. It's going to be consistent income, almost like what Paulette's saying, right? Where she's like, hey, I put money consistently in the market and I made money. So boring, but you know, it's a guaranteed paycheck. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. What's wrong is changing your plan based on what's happening in the market in the current day. And that's what I think he's making this argument that, hey, the market's down. Let's, this is, he'll say, he even says 2023, it's now is the time to really work. And I'm saying, well, no, I mean, basically, you should have a financial plan, and it shouldn't change based on the market. I mean, isn't that the whole point of having a nice, stable financial plan is that you actually have it written out, you have a plan for the future. Why are we being reactionary? Why are we letting the market decide for us? If we've planned correctly, the market could go up, the market could go down. We hopefully have a decent financial plan that should carry us through both extremes. Yeah, I mean, that's sugar daddies there. Mark it up, mark it down. Yeah. I mean, around. this is, it's, it's, it's hustle culture. I mean, basically this is like the crypto bro hustle culture thing. It's like, you know, let's hustle it out. Let's do it. Well, it's maybe if you actually have a really good financial plan, you don't have to worry about working harder in 2023. You should just stick with your plan. Len, were there ever times for you or when the market went down a bunch where you, you know, did the thing they say in internet circles and back the truck up and doubled down on your 401k savings or put a bunch more money in? Mr. Risk averse me? No, I've never, I, I haven't done that, Joe. Um, I have taken flyers. I have done that search for alpha. Um, uh, maybe what I'm speculating, uh, but I never, I never put in more than I can afford to lose. I, I, anything I put in where I'm trying to hit a home run, it's very small amount of money. If I'm trying to get a 10 bagger or something like that, you know, because, because, you know, with risk, with reward, it comes risk. And, and, I think a lot of people figure, oh, well, you know, there's a chance for a 200% return. So there, you know, that's, there's no risk involved. But no, if there's something with like a chance for 200 or 300 or 400% right. return, there's also an equally as good a chance that you're going to, you're going to bust. You, you could lose every last penny of it. And, and, and I just want to take the opportunity here. Now that I've, I've looked a little closer here at uh, is Nick, right? Nick's uh, article. Yeah. He, he does use alpha correctly in, in this by, he talks about, Using your time to eke out additional gains, additional over and above. gains, additional. Uh, he does use that term there. Yeah. So uh, my apologies. I um I should read a little more carefully. Can I bring up something that he said that sounded almost the opposite of what I've heard before? He said most people, most rich people, don't get rich on their investments. They get rich on their salaries. And I was like, that is literally the opposite of what I've usually heard. I think it's like you can't just work your way toward wealth. You do have to invest in wealth as well. But it was just interesting to hear that. And I'm like, gosh, it's almost exactly the opposite of what you usually hear. It is. That's funny that you say that, but it doesn't make it not true. Uh, but there is, mm -hmm. Paulette, a one-two punch, isn't there? There's, I got to earn the money, but then there's got to be that gap so that I keep mm -hmm. a bunch of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's like... Yeah, if you, if you start with very little, like you're not with this, you know, this kind of investing. I don't know, but there then there is the like the millionaire next door just kind of chugging along little by little investors. And that is how a lot of people build wealth on pretty humble incomes. I think he's pointing towards the fact that it, it, depending on where you are in your career, what's more important when you're first starting out, savings, the bulk of your He's when he's speaking net worth, the bulk of that is coming from what you're putting in. Uh, it's not coming from your returns on your investment. So, I mean, you're just starting out. If you can put in 15% of your paycheck, that's going to boost your net worth early on. But then down the road, 20, 30 years, once you've totally built a lot of those savings, now those 10, 20% returns or 7% or even 5% makes a huge difference and it overwhelms the amount you're actually putting in. So I think that's where he's focusing. He's saying, hey, when you're just starting out, mm -hmm. don't worry about the returns so much. Worry about save the money Shoveling. and get it in. Yeah, shovel. shovel that money in, get that going. Then you can worry more. Returns are more important later on in your career, which also means it's 
that's why you shouldn't worry about risk so much early on. That was my problem when I was first starting out. I did not take enough risks when I was younger, and I had plenty of time to recover from mistakes. I do regret that. That's Mr. Risk Averse that really bit me back in my younger years. You feel the same way, Doc G? Oh, yeah. I mean, front-loading the sacrifice is a really good way to create wealth. Uh, the amount of money you earn at the beginning of your career can help you sail through the end of your career. I mean, when I first started working, the amount of money I could make from a paycheck far outdistanced what my investments made. But now, in my 40s, my investments by far make more than I do working, which is kind of laughable, right? Because I realize I go in a, if I go work really hard for the next year or two, I'm going to make money, but it actually doesn't compare to what my investments make. And if I don't take Nick's advice and instead wait out the fact that I still have many, many years of investing left, as long as I manage what I have already invested, I don't need to go out and work like a madman because it's 2023 and the market's down. I can wait for the market to come back up. Which is a powerful thing. Do you, though, feel like Len does about something else, which is you didn't take enough risk when you were young? No, I took lots of risk. I was the exact opposite. In fact, I took too much risk. You know, in 2002, the, the dot-com bubble, I lost tons and tons of money. Uh, but I was always very aggressive with my investments. Too aggressive at some point, you know, when I learned that there were such things as index funds and I could make a lot of money with those and be aggressive in my asset allocation, meaning put more money into stocks as opposed to bonds or in cash when I was aggressive with my asset allocation, but not nearly as aggressive with my actual stocks that I bought. That was when I really started seeing the gains. Doc G in 2002 is going, you mean it doesn't all have to go into pets.com? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yes, I was highly, highly tech leveraged and I bid it. No question about it. Highlypets.com leverage. <laughs> Paula, how about you early on? Do you wish you were more aggressive? <laughs> Maybe less aggressive on shopping? I mean, um, I was not thinking about this stuff at all. I am very thankful that my college job started us a retirement fund and got me started investing in my retirement fund in college. And I saved like, I think like $2,000 in college in my retirement fund, but it just got me started, right? Back in the day. And then it became a habit. But I definitely remember picking those stocks just like, uh, literal eeny, meeny, miny, mo. no idea, <laughs> huge list of stocks, no idea. So was I aggressive? Who knows? No idea. Was I conservative? No idea. Was it a 401k? A little bit, of, a little bit here, a little bit there. That's what I did. Was it I a diversified. Did you have a 401k? That's a very good question, Len. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> Save it for the trivia. Well, no, I, I was just saying because, you know, back when I started, 401ks were, weren't quite as um, they were a little more, to me, complicated. They had more um, mm -hmm. funds that weren't preset. I mean, now at near the end of my career, I noticed they have all these preset funds based on your age. So you could- That's great. Where I was at, it's called like the, the 2020 fund, the 2030 fund, the 2040 fund, based on when your retirement date was. And they would they would set the level of risk based on that. And for people who aren't as sophisticated, you could put your money in- in those. Uh, yeah. I mean, all through my twenties, I just remember getting an entire big list of funds and being like, what percentage do you want to allocate in each one? And just, yeah, I can be overwhelmed. No Joe, idea. Yeah. Joe, if I remember, yeah. if I remember right, you and OG are not huge fans of target date funds, but are they better than nothing? Oh, absolutely. Better than nothing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't use a target date fund. And I also think to lend to your point early on, you don't really need one. If Paulette would, would just pick an aggressive mutual fund, you've got, you know, a hundred, yeah. 200, 300, 400 stocks. What's the chance they're all going to go under? So just Correct. choose something really mm -hmm. aggressive when you're in your twenties and then get more conservative as you go. In fact, Nick says as he gets older, then as he gets older and his portfolio, like doc G was saying, makes more money than he makes working. That's when you really need to start parsing out what fund you have. Get away from just having the aggressive one and now go with a more balanced approach. Uh, Paulette was talking about in the early days, she was just throwing darts because she wasn't even sure. And, and I think that's really common. I remember feeling similar sure. to that early on. What should we look for in if, if we're looking at our 401k options that are presented to us? Are there key phrases we can look at that say this is more aggressive if we just think I'm young enough, yes. I should be super aggressive, but I don't know which mm. one's aggressive. Is there some phrase we can look for to just throw the dart at that yes. one? Yes. Yeah, they will separate them out by size of company. 
large company, mid company, small company, international company. They will separate them out that way. You know, move more toward the medium and the small companies when you're young. I mean, go, yeah, go with, go with those much, much more. And Doug, I, I want to make the point too, that a lot of times when we're talking about aggressiveness, we're actually talking about asset allocation and not the specific funds within the asset. So Again, a lot of young people aren't even in the stock market, and a lot of people are overly in the bond market or in the cash market and are not in equities at all. So, well, how many times, how many times, Doc G, have we heard that phrase where people go, I saved it in my 401k, but I never invested it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's a big, so part of being aggressive, when we're talking about being aggressive, especially for a young person, we're talking equities, not necessarily always the specific ones, although you can get into that too, but it's just, Equities. We want them in the equities market to start It'd with. It'd be so much better if they just named them like aggressive funds, like the Hulk Hogan fund. <laughs> 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 then you'd know there'd be no, yeah. no gray area. <laughs> the Hulk Hogan fund. <laughs> the pile the driver. <laughs> the Mr. T fund. I pity the food on Vesemi. <laughs> And one other more serious point, too, is if you're actually going to follow Nick's advice and double down on work right now, I don't care where you are. You should probably be in aggressive equities, because if you're still working and you still have income, you don't have to be as careful, in a sense, with your bond and cash allocations. Right. And remember, we talk aggressive uh, stackers. We're not talking about buying one stock like I was joking with Doc G about pets.com. I'm talking about buying an aggressive mutual fund, which is going to have 300, 400 companies inside of it. That's a great mitigated risk way to get into more aggressive things. Don't go buy one stock. Len, you, you you were about to mention another way that companies will show you and give you clues about how risky things are. Well, I was just going to say, you know, there's other funds that are out there that kind of make things a little simpler for people who are, who, you know, there's like value funds and then there's growth funds, right? Yeah. Where the growth funds tend to be more aggressive than the value funds. So whatever your level of risk appetite is, you know, you might want to go, go into growth if you really think you're younger and you want to get out there. And if you're a little more conservative, you want a value fund. I love that, Len. Uh, Doug, to your point, if you just know those two things, the size of the companies, right? Knowing that smaller equals more aggressive. And then second, value versus growth. Value means the manager's looking for discounts. They're, they're going either dumpster diving or thrift store shopping or whatever analogy you want to use, where they're finding these values that cost them very little those stocks tend to perform much more on an even keel. Doesn't mean they're always going to make money, but much more of an even keel than a growth manager because a growth manager isn't looking for deals. They're wondering if that same company is going to shoot the moon, if it's going to do phenomenal things and go crazy. And so, so they're more likely to take on debt. They're more likely to take on a company that might expand too fast, but when they hit it, they're going to hit it big. The funny thing is over long periods of time, growth and value historically have gotten to about the same place growth though if you hit it at the right time it's a little more casino if you hit it at the right time you could make a lot more money so more aggressive investors and frankly when you're younger what i like about growth is heck when you're young if it goes down that's kick ass i mean we don't think about it that way but if it goes down and i'm doing what nick says and i'm shoveling money in i'm shoveling more money into every share of that thing so a growth fund is more likely to go up and down and up and down more often so i would tend to want a growth fund more than a more than a value fund because I'm going to see a lot of those dips that allow me to get more money in there throughout time, knowing that you know when I get to the point that my money's worth more than my income, then I'm going to have a whole different game that I'm playing. You know, we touched on this. I think it was Doc, maybe three four minutes ago, but the notion that people are putting money into their 401k because they've elected a certain percentage through their employer, but don't realize that it's not going anywhere. It's just getting put in into a, like a holding place. Right. And it's not actually getting invested. That just happened to the fin turn. You know, he's got another side gig, Joe, that you probably don't know about that actually has a 401k and health health benefits and all of that. It's just a side. It actually gig. pays. It's just, yeah, it's Something just to a, pays. I mean, it's a little thing. He does on a lark <laughs> off to the side, but he did that for like the first three months. He was, putting money into the 401k and had no idea that he needed to pick funds. And no I see that all the time on like Instagram videos and TikTok that young people are just yeah. like, Oh, just realized. I think we're failing people who are trying to use the system. If that many people are and someone that close to the investing industry can't figure it out. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, and and to be reductionalist about it, for the people who are really confused about these things, still very few things beat an S&P 500 index. So you can get into small cap, large cap, you can get into growth and value, but over 10, 20, 30 years, very few things consistently long-term beat an S&P 500 index. So it's a very easy way to start if all of this confuses you. You you know, the good thing about the people who have you know, maybe they mistakenly just left their stuff in the 401k and, and they didn't put in any funds. You know, if as long as they had a company match, at least they were earning 100% on whatever the company match was. So it's not a total, yeah. you know, mess up. If you yeah. if the company matched 3 or 5%, hey, you got 100% return on that 3 or 5%. That is the good news, Len. The bad news, Doc, reductionalist is not a word. <laughs> you got the idea you used way. it twice <laughs> i'm calling that shit out every time how reductionalist of you <laughs> three times coming up in the second half of the show now that we talked about what the problem is that we're chasing alpha maybe we want to work more however we didn't dig into what doc g talked about which is this hustle culture how do we do this better? We talked about picking investments, but if Nick is right, then we just need to get the shovel out. What does that mean for our game plan? How should our game plan change? And what does it mean also about the nature of work and maybe making more money at work? That's what we're going to do in the second half of this discussion. But before we get there on this show, starting last week, we kicked off 2023 with our trivia game. And in week number one, Len Penzo got off to a nice start with the definition of a word that we said a few uh, thousand times. And if we were on terrestrial radio, we would have been kicked off because of, because of that word. This week, it's going to be a lot more tame. Uh, well, it's going to be exciting, of course, because we've got Paulette, Len, and uh, Doc G playing as OG today, going head-to-head to see who wins this year's year-long trivia contest. Doug provides the question. They'll all deliberate, and then we'll see who this week's winner is. Doug, what's our question, man? Well, Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're celebrating the birth of National Geographic. Joe's mom has stacks of these things all over the basement going back to 1966. Want to see more on the moon landing? She's got it. In fact, National Geographic has truly been involved with some of the biggest moments in human history. That famous 23-hour heart transplant in the 80s? National Geographic captured it. The last roll of Kodachrome film? Given to a National Geographic expedition to film, among other things, a nomadic tribe in India whose nomadic ways were coming to an end. But today's question is about a big money-making franchise created in response to a National Geographic quiz. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? That's not the question, wait for it. This hit award-winning show was created because what percentage of Americans couldn't show where either the Soviet Union or the Pacific Ocean were located on the map? I'll be back with the answer right after I go look it up myself. Pacific? Pacific Ocean? I mean, I've heard of the Pacific Oceans, but Pacific? Really? All right. I'm going to go look it up. My guess for this number is horrifyingly high. Obviously, at the time Carmen San Diego was created, uh, the Soviet Union was still a thing. So that's just how old that award-winning franchise is. And I don't know about you guys, but I like Carmen San Diego. Man, we had we had uh, uh, Carmen San Diego games I played with my kids. Like that was all fun stuff, man. But what percentage of people could not find the Soviet Union and Pacific Ocean on a map when asked? It's Pacific Ocean, Joe. <laughs> Uh, going first, Len, you're in the lead, so you have uh, vaulted to the top of this shindig. What uh, what percentage of people? Oh gosh, I would think like Paulette said, it's probably alarmingly high. But gosh, the Pacific Ocean, come on! I mean, that's the part that's kind of holding me back just a <laughs> it's teeny literally bit. The on biggest the thing on the globe, I know. But, and the and the Soviet Union was like the biggest country, right? So Bulgaria. <laughs> uh, Right. Uh, so, so that's the part that's kind of making me think maybe it's not as high, but it's got to be high. So it's obviously got to be over 50%, I would think. I don't know. I'm going to say there's a little gamesmanship here. I got to try and pick a number that uh, gives me some chance without being 
I'm going to say uh, 72%. 72% of people couldn't pick them both. Doc G, you're playing on behalf of OG. Uh, you break the tie going first because you're last year's winner. Believe it or not, you represent the winner. <laughs> people that don't know, people don't know Doc G in this show don't know that Doc G's about to say 280% of people. <laughs> I like the beginning of the year because I can't really ruin anyone's chances yet. So what do you think, Doc? I always come up with my own answer before I hear what anyone else says. And my own answer before I heard what anyone else says was 67%, which kind of puts me in a conundrum because that's way too close to Len. So now I got to figure out, do I really think it's higher or lower than 72? I think he's pretty darn close. I'm going to say, you said 71, right, Len? So if, if Len says 70, 72, 72, I'm going to say 71. Yeah, I'm going to say 71 then, because I think it's slightly lower, but I think he's right on. I, I think he's close. Oh, man, Paulette, there's an opportunity here. I know. I got bad news, Len. <laughs> Are you going to sandwich me, sandwich me, Paulette? I'm going to Chelsea Brennan you hard. I'm going to do 73%. <laughs> well, that, yeah. 73%. Heartless. Can't find them both. That's beyond Chelsea Brennan. That's sandwiching. That's I've, I've got it on both ends. <laughs> And that's the way Len Penzo gets the... Sogginwetsandwich.com. There should be a rule. There should be a rule. If you're sandwiched and you're correct, you get double the points. Oh, um, how about that? I would go with that. I got to tell you, we did have a rules change that Stacker Nathan sent to me. Nathan been listening for a long time. By the way, thanks for this, Nathan. Nathan said that he doesn't like the gamesmanship that's involved, that you three should each like put it on a piece of paper and show us at the same time. And I wrote back to Nathan, like, you don't understand why we play this game. <laughs> like, we don't, I, don't care, I don't care about the trivia. What? I want to watch. I want to watch Len get sandwiched. That's my goal. Then go to wetandsoggysandwich.com, put in your credit card, and you too can watch Hotland Penzo being wet and soggy sandwich. What was that old Peter Sellers movie, Doug, where he would walk around saying, I like to watch? And he was talking about TV, but everybody thought he was kinky. I have no and, idea, Joe. And he's, and, and he's, I wouldn't know. He's the gardener. Um, oh, did you get this at a special oh, rental um, store, video rental store, Joe? Yeah. No, this is a classic movie from the seventies. It, it is like a late classic 70s. movie. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, actually, that was from before I was born, so I wouldn't know. No, I oh, know. Oh, Paulette, I, you know what though? You would love this movie. It's a super movie. I want to say it was a pretty big play <laughs> as well. Oh <laughs> yeah. gosh, it was. Uh, and it, I think it won some Oscars. You, you. If only we had a way to look this up. Yeah, you encouraged me to watch. Nobody watch Google. It. I like to watch. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's called Being There. Being, being there. there. I was going to say in unbearable lightness of being. But. Yes, uh, being there with a with movie has a great message. Highly recommended. But he walked around saying, "I like to watch," and he was talking about TV. But everybody thought he was <laughs> being a little bit different than that. All right. Uh, on that note, we've got uh, what seventy-one for Doc G. 72 for Len, 73 for Paulette. You we'll see who's right. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> see who's right in just a second, but I'm fairly certain Len's not keeping the lead. We'll be right back. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic time to put a plan together, which is why OG and I are so happy you're here. And if your goal is to become the CFO, well, then putting a debt strategy, debt payoff strategy in place or a debt strategy in general, if your goals involve using debt in 2023, well, then you need a great partner. Partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union as an example to pay down your credit card debt. You could get a low intro APR on balance transfers with their Platinum Credit Card. It's their lowest rate card and a great tool to pay less interest while you're paying down debt. Navy Federal can also help you get started on your next home improvement project. If that's on the slate this year, they offer a home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them at a variable rate. You can also get a fixed rate equity loan with set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, equal housing lending, membership required, loan subject to approval. Call 1-888-842-6328 for details about credit cost and terms. HELOC APR is low as 6.5% as of November 23rd, 2022. Stackers, you've heard the bad news. 
Mint is shutting down. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, well, there is some good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money, it's what Cheryl and I use to manage our money. I, as you know, advocate a weekly meeting and Cheryl and I live by that weekly meeting. We sometimes miss it, but we get back on the horse and half the reason is, is because we consistently get updates and reminders from uh, Monarch money. I'm a notifications off kind of guy, but with Monarch, I want to see the notifications because it helps us collaborate. We have our goals right next to the short-term spending that we have when we open up the app so we can see exactly what we're truly going for. And, you know, compare that thing in the moment that we want with what's the long-term goal. It's truly the next generation of personal finance apps. If you've been frustrated that there's ads all over your app or it's difficult to use or doesn't get updated, the Monarch people were too. And that is why they built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, your investments, your transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you head to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. You're going to get to kick the tires for 30 days, which I absolutely love because you want to make sure that it's for you. And I think the longer you use it, the more you will see like I did, that uh, it's intuitive. Number one, it has this very simple design that makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. It's easy to collaborate. Uh, Cheryl has her login. I have mine. We can set up how we want. And you can send it to your financial advisor as well to have them have a login, anybody who's on your team. And you know what? No extra fee for that, which is amazing. It's all customizable, customer-focused, ad-free privacy you can trust. They'll never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. So after trying out Monarch for myself, I get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, you can try too with an extended 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, Len, you kicked this thing off. You said there's got to be a little gamesmanship, but I think that kind of went against you, dude. Yeah, that I, you're right. I should have tried not to be so correct. Yeah, I would like to. I would like to know if the judges, though, I, my proposal for the for the future here, any sandwiching, if you're correct and you're the sandwiched person is correct, should get two points. I think we take that under advisement, and uh, we will regroup. <laughs> I'll consider. We'll it. Let everybody know next week. We'll take it to the council. That we will. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I'm definitely part of the anti-sandwich group because I'll never get it exactly correct whether someone sandwiches me or not. So. Well, do you think 71, you got everything below there, Doc G, feeling good? No, nah, not really. I usually I usually <laughs> don't win. So it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. Just the fact that I picked it is, is a negative you know, I factor. I usually lose. <laughs> well, then I think the only question left is, Paula, do you feel as confident in your win as uh, Doc G feels in your win? I feel as confident in the terrible geographic skills of Americans. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I have no chance. Let's find out if our distrust is correctly placed or misplaced. Let's do it, Doug. What's our answer? Hey there, stackers. I'm Wild Kingdom lover and part-time geographic dart thrower, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today, we're celebrating National Geographic by focusing on the origins of a hit show created in response to a National Geographic survey, Carmen Sandiego. Heck, I remember Carmen San Diego back when she was just Carmen La Jolla. Ah, the good old days. Uh, Southern California kids, the only one who gets that joke. Our question was this. What percentage of people said in a National Geographic survey that they couldn't find either the Soviet Union or the specific ocean on a map? The answer? A full whopping 25%, which means Doc uh, is on the You know what? I think we missed something. It was the, the survey asked them if they thought they could find it, but the survey didn't actually ask them to go find it. And I think Americans in general would be much more optimistic no. on their abilities than reality. No. But either way, I win. The answer <laughs> is one right. out of. Yeah, what are you bitching about? Seriously. <laughs> 
You but just, I was still. Oh. How is this that I won and I was still wildly off? Oh my god! I know, right? Oh, I laugh. Yeah. You guys need more faith in the world. You need more faith in in our community. I've been alive too long. That's one of those you. trick questions again. It's like you wouldn't ask the question if it wasn't a, an obviously you know high. But again, that's a good question, Doug. Good question. But like they started a whole show for twenty five percent. Yeah, one out of every four people is a big number. Like that is a so, big, big number. So apparently, seventy-five percent of people could point to a specific ocean, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> at least one, or at least find at least an ocean. On the ocean. It also means that one of us on this panel right now can't identify where the Soviet <laughs> Union is. <laughs> That's because it's gone. <laughs> look to your left and look to your right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> can you identify both? Because there's a good chance person next to you can't. All right, the second half of the show is uh, brought to you by Magnify Money. Len Penzo, you know what happens when you come to stackofbenjamins.com slash magnifymoney? Yeah, you get a, a complimentary subscription to National Geographic magazine. You do not. That would and be incorrect. <laughs> and when, you might get a free subscription to wetandsoggy.com. However, I will have to run that by their parent company, Lending Tree. That might end our relationship with Magnify Money. Hey, would you guys throw in a wetandsoggy.com subscription along with the Magnify Money? No? Hello? Hello? Yeah, Looks probably like not. The domain's available. What you actually find, Len, is that out of all those brick and mortar products you use every day, turns out there's a lot of online banks out there and over 92% of those banks rated head-to-head uh, when it comes to savings accounts, checking accounts, high yield savings is a big thing. If you're keeping an emergency fund in your checking account earning zero, you definitely need to go to Magnify Money and compare because depending on where you are in the United States, there's different offers, some better than others, depending on where you are. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash Magnify Money and you'll see for yourself. Is this going to be a trivia question one day? <laughs> what percentage of banks? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what was the trivia question, Len, we did a couple of years ago where, no, that was just last year, wasn't it, where OG kept nailing the exact number. Like That was pretty annoying. He'd go first and just get the number. I don't know. I, that's bad memories. I, I don't even want to, I try to block yes. that stuff out of my mind. <laughs> I, I do like a few years ago when we did the uh, ice uh, barrel jumping competition. That was That was a good one. But anyway, let's talk about this topic. Nick Majuli talking about chasing alpha and he says that you shouldn't do it, which means if he's right, doc G then we should be playing more defense with our portfolio. Isn't that what that means? Like stop trying to chase these excess returns. Let's be a little more defensive. Well, again, I, I don't know philosophically if not chasing excess returns is being defensive. So I think you can have a nice, fairly aggressive asset allocation, even if you're not, looking for extra alpha, right? So this idea of trying to meet the market as opposed to beat the market, there's some obvious easy ways to do that. You can be aggressive in what percentage are equities and what percentage are non-equities, and yet still not spend time, or in this case, what Nick is talking about, wasting time trying to get that little excess alpha. Let's ask the other half of that question, Paulette. I guess that means you should be more offensive uh, or play more offense, not be more offensive. I think those, are two different, those are two different things. You need to play more offense when it comes to making more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been a huge focus for me where it's like you can only save so much, but how much you can earn, you know, that just goes so much higher. Blue sky, blue sky. Yeah. Yeah. What are some tactics you've used to earn more? Definitely partnering. I just got my highest speaker fee ever. And it was so much higher than I've ever gotten. And I was just like, oh, because I sold through someone else's channel and not just my own channel. So I think kind of audience sharing for people who are out there with their own brands, that's huge. And just getting those relationships that will level you up. Len, how about you? What are tactics you used at work? I mean, it's interesting asking Paulette as an entrepreneur that question, but for you that worked uh, a corporate career, what were strategies you used to make more? Well, perform well. That that's one of the that's one of the best ways to do it. Perform as well as you can and be as valuable as you can to your company, and that will come back to you in terms of higher 
higher income every year. Yeah, I feel like I just read an article about this in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> who who would have written such an article? It was brilliant. It was a brilliant article. So what did Daniel Pink say, Paulette? Well, according to Daniel Pink, you should focus on fairness and you should really do the work to think about where your boss is coming from and what it looks like for them and why it's good for them to give you a raise. Doesn't it seem like now more and more changing companies is really a great way to get big bumps, to get big- It seems uh, like it. I mean, that wasn't the focus of my article, but yeah, I, I definitely have seen a lot of people talk about that. Yeah, Len, you never played that game though. I did one time. Yes, I did. I did once in my career at the 10-year mark. I got a, a series of couple poor raises in a row and uh, I felt undervalued. So I switched companies uh, and then I finished up uh, with my for 25 years. But that can backfire. I mean, you can do it, do it once, do it twice. You do it much more than that and people start looking at you with the jaundiced eye and it's like, well, if I hire this person, are they going to stay around with me? Because you know, it does cost money to get a new employee on mm-hmm. and let them learn. And you don't want them to leave after a year. So I had a colleague back when I was younger, he hopped jobs like three or four times within about an 18-month period. He kept coming back to the company I was working with. Then he would leave, get a 10, 20% bump. Then he would leave that company, come back to our company. The fourth time that happened, he was the first one laid off. And uh, I don't think he ever got another job in our industry again because he had a stigma attached to him after that. So there is some loyalty that I think, uh, you know, you can't play that game too often. Yeah, Len's point is is well taken and I would say accurate for the vast majority of industries. But I have seen in two different times in the tech world, one of which is happening right now and the other happened kind of in the late 90s and early 2000s where if you stuck around at a company too long, from a hiring standpoint, you looked stagnant because there was a high likelihood that you weren't being exposed to the newer technologies because companies latch on to specific technologies and they can't move with them too often because you've got to build a platform to run your business or whatever you're selling on these technologies and you can't grab the next latest and greatest thing. But if you stay there as a technologist and that's the tech you know, it becomes really hard to get another job. So that was definitely true in the dot-com boom and all of a lot of those foundational technologies were being created to fuel the, the dot-com boom. And then the other one's happening now with AI and machine learning. And if you stick around with the AI that your firm has chosen, it's going to be hard to get another job without retraining yourself on your own. And and there may be some other examples outside of that industry that I'm not thinking of. Maybe there's some in the medical arena, uh, Doc, that I'm not aware of. But So that's something to consider. But I think in most other industries, Len, I think you're right, uh, showing that longevity and that I'm going to stick with this and be loyal is pretty valuable. Doc G? I obviously, as a physician, it's a little bit different than other professions, but there were a few ways I found to increase the cash flow long term. One was at the beginning of my career, I did the things that other people didn't want to do. So I worked in a big practice and they were all busy and they had all these overflow patients who needed to be seen and they didn't have space for. So I started by seeing other people's patients. I ended up actually making more revenue and income than they did even in my first few years because I was willing to see the patients they didn't feel they had enough time for. The next was to leverage the skills I had. So as a physician, I had a certain set of skills and I found I could leverage them to have new income streams. So because I was a practicing doctor, I could be a medical director for a nursing home and I didn't have to learn anything new to actually perform that role. And that brought in extra revenue. Or I could work as a medical expert for the medical legal system. And pretty much just by nature of what I was doing for a living, it gave me that expertise and I could use that as a lot of side hustle income. And I guess the last thing that I really did as a doctor was innovation. So I went from working for someone else to owning my own practice to eventually realizing that there was a hole in the market. I had a bunch of elderly patients who couldn't get in to see the doctor and were willing to pay a premium to have the doctor come and see them. So I started what was called a concierge medical practice, but I also paired that with nursing homework. So I was doing something I had never seen anyone else do, but there were holes in the market that needed filling. So I think if you use a a mix of those three types of things, you can really increase your income. And it allowed me to pretty much 5X, I think, what a normal doctor was making doing what I was doing. Fabulous. Dang. You are by no means normal. 
Yes, I, I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm incredibly good at trivia, in fact. That's one of those things that people can't quite figure out. <laughs> Ninja, after one week, he's already flexing. That's going to get bad. That might be a great place to leave it. Focus on your income. Uh, Doc G, one more thing for you. If we get past this idea of hustle culture and just take this as his continuum that he lists on this, Nick lists a continuum. Early on, focus more on saving. And as Len said earlier, get the shovel out. Later on, focus on your asset allocation. You agree with that? Yes, I, I think that's very reasonable. And it goes along with front loading, which is something I'm always a big fan of. Is that's You make a lot of money when you're young. You don't necessarily have to as you get older. I think that's a great place to leave this. Let's find out what all of you are doing where you are. Doc G, let's start with you. What's going on at Earn and Invest, my friend? We are chugging along and in fact coming out or came out last week when this goes live, we talked to our own Paulette Prahatch about her Powerhouse Writers Program. It's really, really exciting. I think all of us are fascinated by this idea of how we get our name in the byline, but not only that, but could you make a living doing it? It's an interesting question and I can't wait for people to hear our interview. I just think there's so much power in being a better writer and people, Mm -hmm. it's funny, people think it's easy and then they sit down with a blank sheet of paper or a blank screen and they go, "Uh, I got nothing, you know, (laughs) far harder. But, you know, people like, oh, all you do is sit around and write all day, Paulette, Mm, big deal. That's that's pretty difficult. Speaking of Paulette, Paulette, what's happening with you? We are starting Powerhouse Writers this week, and it's not too late to get in. Definitely had some people uh, hop in after the first week, and we do a little private session to catch you up. No big deal, but it's at powerhousewriters.com, and uh, you can email me, paulette at paulettepurhatch.com, to uh, get more info and get in last minute. Awesome. And you know what? We'll have a link, everybody, to not just Earn and Invest and Powerhouse Writers on our show notes of Stacky Benjamins, but also to whatever Len Penzo's doing. Dude, what's going on at LenPenzo.com? You know what? I feel miserable right now because if I had taken Paulette's Powerhouse Writers course, I wouldn't have to be promoting the article I'm going to promote right now at LenPenzo.com, <laughs> which is 36 Amazing Uses for Plastic Bags. So uh, that's, uh, that's what I got over at my boring website. Wet and, uh, and maybe I'm going to be <laughs> heading over to Paulette's pretty soon so I can learn how to be a much more interesting writer. Uh, there's nothing boring about any of that. That's so awesome. By the way, I have learned so much about writing from, uh, you used to give great sessions at FinCon, Len, about writing and about titles and yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I gave, uh, it was really popular. It was a, uh, it was a headline writing actually. I, I did, had a mm. seminar there on headline, right? It was a pretty fun seminar. I think the charts are still on, uh, they're over there at the FinCon site actually. So uh, if you want to go check them out, it was a fun, was, I had a good time. I think you're selling yourself short, Len, because when you just described that and you gave me the title, I thought that is so benign that there's gotta be something really good in there. <laughs> like he's right. It's just so freakishly boring plastic bags. I bet you there's some good stuff in there. Mm. I'm going to open it. I'm going to read it. You know what the key is, Doug? If you combine the plastic bags with the stuff you find at wetandsoggy.com. <laughs> yeah. It was it was actually 35 things you could do with plastic bags, but he discovered a 36th when the roof started leaking. And now if you look really closely behind him, you can see the plastic bags hanging down from the roof. <laughs> Len, don't drown in the bunker. Please don't drown. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. That's it for us. By the way, we've said a thank you to all the stackers before for uh, helping us out and for being such a great family. But you know what? We haven't done it with you guys here. We were just honored by Bankrate.com, one of the biggest uh, personal finance sites as podcast of the year. And it's because of the work you guys did. So. Yes. Thank you for all the help you guys have done. That was that was a big surprise for us. Just fantastic. So thank you, know, you so much. What, what's funny, guys, is that in the social post that announced that we'd won that, there wasn't any mention of Doc Chi. There wasn't any mention of Len or Paulette. Or- oh, God. Look at look at the time. <laughs> this show's about over. Time to... Hey, Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, here's what we should have learned today. You're an ungrateful... No, I'm kidding. First, take some advice from our panel. How do you focus on making more focus first on where your biggest win will be and work backwards? Second, take it from the dock with the stock. Good financial plans aren't reactionary, so make a plan early, invest in aggressive mutual funds, and stick to it. Do that, 
and you won't have to worry about trying to outperform the market. But the big lesson? National Geographic should really be doing stories on the strange culture of the basement. Seriously, the only culture we have down here is that black mold growing up the wall next to the deep freeze. Thanks to Doc G for being with us. You can hear more from Doc on the Earn and Invest podcast. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Len Penzo for joining us today. You can find Len at lenpenzo.com slash soggy pants. <laughs> That's not funny, Paulette. <laughs> this show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. You can hire Paulette as your very own writing coach. With her program, Your Personal Editor, you get 10 sessions one-on-one with Paulette to add power to your words. More information at yourpersonaleditor.com. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Len, you just showed us behind you in the bunker, there's a big hole in your ceiling. Yes, that's what happens when uh, the bunker springs a leak and then the water collects on the ceiling and it gets so heavy that it collapses the ceiling. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, that's the result of uh, about eight out of 10 days of almost nonstop rain here in Southern California and a leaky roof. (laughs) Len, since it's the bunker, you should just be able to patch it with gold bars, which you have in excess sitting in the bunker. So you're right, Doc. And you know what? And and since gold doesn't rust, that that would be absolutely fine. You're absolutely right. That would work. (laughs) (laughs) Just in time for my retirement, right? I mean, just in time for retirement. Of course. Nice big expense. Yeah. (laughs) Unexpected expenses in retirement? What are you talking about? Yeah. Amazing. And there is no more fun way to spend money on your house than a new roof. Oh, yeah. That's right, Doug. Forget about the family vacation. To compound the problem, obviously, Southern California, I mean, I'm not the only house in Southern California with this problem. So we call Mm. the roofer, and he's backlogged for probably a month before I can even get somebody to (laughs) repair this. (laughs) What do you got then? The big blue attractive uh, redneck tarp across here? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, he hasn't even come out to assess it yet. So, I mean, that's how that's how backed up he is. So, I don't know. Right now, we've got buckets. Lots and if, lots of if, buckets. If I'm the guy with a tarp company in New Jersey, I am putting all of my shipments <laughs> to California right now. 
Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, bring on the drought. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for another. You people cannot be satisfied. Californians <laughs> just need more, more, more. They want water. Bring on we don't fire want season. water. <laughs> between, between wildfires and, and, and floods, it's just, uh, yeah. There's, Bonfire. It's, we don't want fire. When Cheryl and I were, were out at uh, Len and the Honeybees compound, you showed us pictures of the exact opposite Doug, to your point, and it was these massive forest forest fires right behind your neighbor's house because <laughs> yeah. it was so dry. Yeah, yeah. So now we get to you know that's the the seasons of Southern California, right? Fire, flood, earthquake, and uh, drought. Well, it just reminds you the fact is that the recession is not affecting the trade workers, right? Because I can't get anyone in to fix any of the stuff going wrong in my house. So, like, it is a weeks or months long wait. People don't return your calls, et cetera. So, lots of people are feeling the recession now. But if you are a plumber or electrician or apparently a roofer, uh, you are hot and in demand. Well, you could be in demand. They're not all hot. Contrary to the calendars that your wife are buying, Doc, (laughs) they're not all hot. Yeah, we're still getting ghosted, according to Joe. Yeah, the 12-month plumber butt crack uh, calendar. (laughs) I would die to see a butt crack right now. Actually, a roofer's butt crack. (laughs) That's the clip right there, Joe. That is the clip. (laughs) Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.